Keeping up on Seattle-area politics is tough. Who has time to sit through a three-hour council meeting and sort out which decisions will affect you most? Please vote aye. 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 Well, what if getting caught up on current events was as simple as getting a cup of coffee with some City Hall insiders who know which stories are hot and which are not? Welcome to Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And thanks for being with us on Seattle News, Views, and Brews, the best way to perk up your coffee break since coffee itself. How about that? I'm Brian Callanan. I'm a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. And I'm joined by Seattle City Council Insights, Kevin Schofield. Kevin, good to be with you. Hey, Brian. All right, here we go. Now, I should say, thanks as always to City Grind Espresso. You know the owners, John Streeter, Charlie Riddell, been around for a long time here in the Seattle area. They're that coffee cart on the first floor of City Hall. We know them as our background noise sponsor. Thanks very much for that. Thought about doing it in the cafe, but just too darn loud there. Thank you for the background noise. Always a beautiful thing. All right, let's get things started with Right Here, Right Now. Okay, so for this portion of the program, we're talking about what is facing our local lawmakers right here, right now. And the big news is this, Kevin. We're talking about a city council that has just been seated. Four new members, three returning members, and then those two members that are still there in positions eight and nine, Mosqueda and Gonzalez, are sticking around. We've got a whole new council, and they're they're getting to work right away. They are. They're getting to work. They all got sworn in on Monday afternoon. There was already a, a committee meeting on Tuesday morning looking at the clean campaigns legislation, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yep. And they're scheduling up committee meetings for the rest of the, of the month. Yep. And we're talking about a new council president, of course, with council president Bruce Harrell not returning to office this time around. Uh, Lorena Gonzalez is going to be that council president, but a bit of, bit of musical chairs, I guess, over the next uh, next few months here. That's right. Uh, council President Gonzalez just went out on maternity leave mm-hmm. for the next 12 weeks, and we wish her the best and yep. hope she has a, a great... Uh, Time with her with a new child who's mm-hmm. who's due to be uh, delivered any day. Yep. Now while she is out of the office, the uh, other eight members of the city council take turns on a month by month basis, acting as president pro tem. And this uh, this past Monday, the new council just passed their schedule for uh, for this coming year as to who's going to be the president pro tem each month. So while Gonzalez is out this month in January, Councilmember Herbold is going to be president pro tem. In February, it's going to be Councilmember Juarez, and in March, it's going to be Councilmember Mosqueda. Yeah, and I know it's largely a, a ceremonial position for the most part, but it's an important thing in that the Seattle City Council has a lot of work to do coming up here, and maybe we can dive into the div- different uh, committees that we're talking about for the different council members. They're switching up some of these things here. Let's break down what's happening. We can start probably with Councilmember Herbold in District 1. Right, Councilmember Herbold is going to chair a Public Safety and Human Services Committee, yeah. so she's going to be responsible for oversight of the Seattle Police Department and the consent decree. Which is huge. Yeah, a lot lot of news happening with that. Seattle Fire Department Mm -hmm. and with the Human Services uh, Department. And those three are uh, three of the largest departments in the city. The Human Services is going to be a particularly interesting one because now with the new regional homelessness authority um, that's been approved, a big part of this year is going to be getting organized around moving a big chunk of the staff and resources in the Human Services Department for the city over to this new regional authority. Yeah, and we've also got a new land use chair in Dan Strauss. 
the representative from District 6. And in thinking about him, he's not a homeowner, and I don't know if you need to be, but when we talk about overhauling the comprehensive plan, when we talk about this possibility of getting rid of single-family zoning throughout the city, what's he going to bring to the table, do you think? Well, I think it's going to be a new perspective, and yeah. you know, I think it's going to be an important one because at this point now, uh, the local statistics show that over 50% yeah. of the households in Seattle are now renters. Yep, that's right. And there's another important piece, too, and I think this is a really interesting twist. Alex Peterson from District 4 is now head of the Transportation Committee and also the two city-owned utilities. But Peterson, he's had some uh, some concerns about the different transportation measures that the city of Seattle has championed over the past couple of years. I'm thought, I'm thinking about Move Seattle. He was not in support of that. Sound Transit 3 he was not in support of that in 2016. What is he bringing to the table? That's a very interesting choice. Yeah, and Peterson is an interesting guy because he uh, served as a legislative aide for uh, uh, former council member Tim Burgess. And for former council president, right, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so he knows how the second floor of City Hall yeah. works. He knows... Uh, you know, how the machinery works. Yeah. He has some views from that uh, time as to what he thinks about transportation yeah. and other issues in front of the city. And, uh, you know, but he is only one vote. Yeah. You know, he's going to be chairing those committees, but he doesn't get to unilaterally decide what's going to happen. So, That's- you know, we'll, we'll see how he decides to work with a bunch of his peers. That's true. And he's got a lot of constituents, I know, in District 4 who are going to be in his ear as well, talking about these different issues when it comes to bike lanes, when it comes to transit, uh, very important issues uh, throughout the city, for that matter. I should also point out, Councilmember Mosqueda is going to be heading up the Budget and Finance Committee there. That's a very powerful role. It is. Uh, the bu- Budget Chair, uh, there are many who argue, it is the second most powerful position on the council after council president. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it takes... The way that they put together the budget every fall, it takes a lot of shuttle diplomacy by the budget chair to figure out what's really sort of the consensus view of the council members and things to to put into the budget Mm -hmm. and what are the things where they really need to kind of argue out in public. And, you know, council member Herbold took a spin at this when when, uh, council... Uh, member Burgess, the previous budget chair, got kicked upstairs. That's right. And, and was the mayor and, for a short and, time, and, right. And and Herbold had kind of a rocky run yeah. at this, where she she really sort of put, it looked like she was putting a lot of her own spin on it, yeah. rather than trying to build a consensus. True. That was and the that, first run at the head tax. That was the first right? run at the head tax, and it failed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And it was, you know, failed spectacularly, yeah. and they it caused them to put together sort of a last-minute rush yes. to, to pa- cobble together a budget yeah. at the 11th hour on that. So so Mosqueda is going to have to, as she takes this role, try to figure out how to build consensus among her peers yeah. to build to build a budget that everybody can support and that the mayor will uh, will vote for as well, uh, will sign as well. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the head tax in just a minute, but let's wrap up in talking about Andrew Lewis. He doesn't have his own standing committee, but he is going to chair this select committee on homelessness. I know he is talking a lot about homelessness, talked a lot about that in his swearing-in speech here. What's he bringing to the table? Yeah, so Andrew Lewis, uh, who worked in the city attorney's office for a number of years before he got elected to the city council, uh, you know, he said very clearly that in his speech earlier this week that homelessness is his number one priority this year. While he doesn't have a standing committee, and that will limit his ability to sort of push forward 
you know, his own legislation other than through other council members' yep. committees, mm-hmm. that, that could be an impediment. When I talked to him earlier this week, he didn't really think that that was going to be a problem for him. He thinks yeah. he has good relationships with the other council members yeah. and should be able to work that. And, you know, in his view, with homelessness being such a priority for him, yeah. he uh, he thinks he's going to be pretty busy. And, yeah. and along with chairing that select committee on homelessness, comes appointments on a number of other regional county committees and commissions Mm -hmm. and boards that relate to homelessness. So he really feels like his plate is going to be full this coming year. A lot of work ahead for him. I know he'll be working with Council Member Herbold, who chairs up that Human Services Department piece. So a lot still ahead for the council on that. Let's look back a little bit. Now we're going to head to the section of our program. Now hear this. So this is basically a review of some of the activity of our local leaders from the past week. We've got some handcrafted artisanal sound bites about clean campaigns. Uh, This is something that Councilmember Gonzalez has been working on for several months, even before the election, when we had that record amount of PAC money coming into Seattle elections here. So we're going to hear a little bit from her and also from Councilmember Herbold. Let's listen in. There's a strong component of transparency that that I think from a policy perspective, works against the appearance or the the perception and actual corruption within um, campaigns, either through independent expenditure activity or through direct contributions to um, to campaigns. We shouldn't um, kid ourselves that it's going to, quote, get big money out of politics, because with the passage of a bill like this, it's very likely that we will see some of that um, that sh- that shift where uh, large corporations will directly uh, finance election activities. Okay, so a few points there. Trying to get rid of this perception of any sort of corruption in our elections, that's a big piece of this. Councilmember Gonzalez talking about that, but also Councilmember Herbold really reiterating that point we've heard for quite some time now. This is not a measure that's going to get big money out of politics. So with that in mind, Kevin, let's roll ahead here and talk about two-thirds of this legislation essentially went through in the first week the council was back on the job in January. Right. Originally, uh, Gonzalez wrote this bill to be one big Uber bill. Yeah. And uh, over the winter recess, they rewrote it, split it out into three separate bills. Uh, one part having to do with disclosures and reporting for political ads, one having to do with prohibitions on foreign influence corporations making donations to campaigns yep. and to PACs, and the third part putting a contribution limit on basically any organization to a, to account. Now, there are a couple legal issues that are you know, not too far behind the scenes here that, that are really kind of driving the way this is done. Right. She split it up into three bills because of the same issue that we've seen with Initiative 976 and and other issues, Mm -hmm. what they call the single subject rule. Right. Where under the state constitution, a piece of legislation, whether it's passed by a legislative body like the state legislature or the city council or by voter initiative, can only discuss one topic. Right. Right. And to make sure that this this, uh, campaign legislation doesn't get challenged under that rule, Mm -hmm. she broke it up into what's clearly three, inarguably three separate pieces of legislation. It's going to be challenged on some level. Uh, but there, are, there are pieces of this that are absolutely going to be challenged anyway. Yeah. And that's sort of leading to the other part here, yeah. which is um, the, you know, the, the, these are dealing with issues around free speech. And, mm-hmm. and what the, the U.S. Supreme Court has said is the most sacred, most protected kind of speech, which is political speech. Mm-hmm. And they've said that there is only... A, Many years ago, there were a bunch of different reasons that that the courts would accept for 
uh, potentially uh, governments potentially limiting political speech. Uh-huh. But at this point, the U.S. Supreme Court has whittled it down to just one reason okay. that's acceptable. And that reason is to prevent corruption or the appearance of corruption. Right. And that's so, why we heard that language That's so why much. we heard that yeah. over and over yeah. and over again. And that's why on one of these three bills, the mm-hmm. reason they didn't push it out of committee yet is because they do what's, they're still working on what's called developing the legislative record. Yeah. They're trying to collect a set of documents and other um, evidence that can tie this very clearly back to preventing corruption and the appearance of corruption mm-hmm. so that they, because they know that's what they're going to be challenged on. Yeah. Lorena Gonzalez, an attorney before she was a council member. A uh, constitutional Sir, attorney. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Trying to really check a lot of those different boxes there. Right. Right. And, and in looking ahead, I thought it was very interesting. I think one of these big loopholes that could be a challenge here is this whole idea of not allowing foreign corporations, as they're called, uh, to be involved in these uh, in these types of uh, donations to PACs or whatever else. But it really did open the door for unions to be able to do it. And I think that's a that's a really interesting binarism there that, that needs to be broken down. I feel like that's going to be a big part of the challenge, don't you? Yeah. and well, But let's take these two pieces yeah, uh, uh, sort of in an opposite direction. Okay. Let's start by talking about the limits on contributions yeah. first. Okay. Right? So where this bill has ended up on limiting contributions to, to PACs is it said that um, there's a limit for all organizations. Right. Um, and all but one kind of organization, the limit is $5,000 yeah. per election cycle. Okay. Um, and and uh, Gonzalez defined in her legislation a special kind of group called the Limited Contributor uh, Committee. Okay. And that says that uh, you have to have at least 100 separate donors. Yes. And no donation can be more than $100. Right, right. right. So the argument there being, if it's really representing a large number of people and it's mm-hmm. all small contributions, yeah. then they should be able to give a little bit more. So their contribution limit is $10,000 instead of the $5,000. So right. the most any organization is going to be able to donate is $10,000. That's important. So right. now if we go back and we look at this other, uh, this third bill, yeah. the one around foreign yeah. influence corporations. Right. Um, there's already federal limits that say that foreign nationals can't mm-hmm. contribute mm-hmm. to elections in the United States. Right. But there's a loophole around that where they can create a U.S. corporation that may be um, may be foreign owned or foreign yeah. controlled. Yeah. And funnel money through that yeah. into corporate contributions to yes. campaigns and to PACs and all right. that stuff. Yeah. And. You know, at the federal level, there's still a bunch of different efforts to, to struggle with what the right thing to do is that. But, and yeah. Gonzalez wants to get ahead of that. And she wants yeah. to say, let's deal with this at a local level and really yeah. create a test case that can go up the line for this. Yeah. So based upon some of the rules from the Securities and Exchange Commission that mm-hmm. say that any shareholder of a corporation that has at least 1% of the share of a company um, can write an initiative uh, that will be voted upon at the next shareholders meeting. Okay, okay. And so then she's taking that and extending that and saying, well, that is a sign that somebody with 1% control of a company has influence over that company. Okay. And therefore, we're going to say that uh, if a company, a corporation has a single shareholder who has 1% ownership of the company, then it is foreign influence yeah. and therefore may not make any contribution 
to a campaign or uh, a candidate in uh, or a PAC. That, that and, feels like it just boxes out so many people, and I, yeah, I just and, think of Amazon right yeah, away. Yeah. And, yeah, and Amazon is certainly a company that would meet that definition, as yeah. would Airbnb, right, right. Uber, sure. and a lot of other... Yeah, pick them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 1% is one part of it. Second, uh, second way you could qualify for that is if you have a group of foreign nationals who collectively own 5% or more. Yeah. And the third is if you have an employee or a director or someone in uh, for the corporation mm-hmm. who um, is a foreign national yeah. who has influence over the political decision-making of the company. Okay. Uh, there's so much still ahead with this. I know yep. the council yep. is going to be passing two-thirds of it here in January, but I know still a lot ahead, especially when it comes to some of the court challenges there. So we'll keep an eye on that. We're going to start wrapping up our show with What's Next? All right. Just when you thought it was safe to pull your head out of the water, we're talking about the head tax again, Kevin. That's right. I, I, it was such a contentious issue during the November elections for city council. Are you for it? Are you against it? It looked like a lot of the candidates who were in support of a head tax ended up getting elected here. So I'm guessing that they're feeling emboldened here to bring this up again. But I have to think the approach is going to be a little bit different this time around. Well, and, and it'll be interesting to see. Certainly, uh, there are council members who are now seated who believe that they came out of this election with a mandate to go yeah. back and, and tax big businesses, including Amazon, with some form of a head tax or, or, or another form like that. The yeah. question is, what's the path that they're going to use mm-hmm. to try to enact something like that? And there's really three different approaches they could do. That. The city council could actually pass one directly like they like they did before. Mm-hmm. Um it would almost certainly run up against uh, uh, a, a referendum, referendum yeah. a voter mm-hmm. referendum. And so that would end up probably in the ballot in the fall. Yeah. Um, the city council could actually directly place it in the ballot. And Councilmember Herbold has said that that would really be her preference rather mm-hmm. than have the city council enact it. Say, let's just put it to the voters and see what they say. Yeah. And then the third option is to do it by voter initiative right. where uh, organizations and ag- advocacy groups go out and collect signatures to mm-hmm. actually put it on the ballot right. directly. It, it means that we're going to have something on the ballot, it looks like, this fall either way. I think that's, that is yeah. a very, there's a very good chance that that's what's going to happen. And the, the political machinations are really interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. around this because it's a very big election year. Yep. And so um, if, you, if you follow these things, the people who are looking to put initiatives on the ballot know that the people who are going to vote this fall with yeah. the presidential elections are probably going to be very, it's going to be a different demographic yeah. than the people who voted this past year yeah. in elections. And right. that's important. And having something like this on the ballot, there are uh, advocacy groups that think that'd be really interesting to get more people registered to vote yeah. and to uh, start recruiting people for their own organizations. So yeah. there's a lot of double, triple incentives for these organizations to go out and try to push something like this yeah. as a way to increase their own membership, increase more political and, and voting activity. Yeah. So that's all going to play out this year. I just wonder what role, or maybe it's a pushback, I don't know how you look at it, what role is the business community going to play here? I know they felt left out of these conversations when the city council started them three years ago or so, three, four years ago, uh, when it comes to the head tax idea. Are businesses going to be involved? What's that voice going to sound like? Does the city want to bring them to the table? I'm guessing they would, but it's, again, such a contentious issue. I I wonder what the business role is going to be here. I think that's going to be a really big test of this new city council. Right? Yeah. Certainly, Councilmember Sawant, who's one of the uh, 
you know, the loud advocates right now. Yeah, for, and she calls for, it the Amazon tax. Still. She calls it the Amazon tax still. Um, she's one of the loudest advocates for, for a new head tax. Yeah. Ha- has no interest whatsoever in bringing business to the table to talk yeah. about this. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a test for some of the new council members who just got elected to see how, how much they're willing to do that. Folks like Andrew Lewis, whose District 7 represents the downtown business core. That's right. right? That's right. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. I think it's fairly safe to say that um, Amazon will probably not drop a million dollars into <laughs> into a, a campaign to defeat a head tax. Yeah, yeah, that that didn't work out too well. It didn't work out so in the well. council elections yeah, for I think sure. They, I think they know what would happen this time. I also wanted everybody to keep an eye on something that I've been covering over the last uh, couple of weeks here with regard to our city's legislative agenda, which I know drives you to tears, Kevin. Uh, it's, it's one of those yeah. documents, but there's some really interesting stuff in there uh, when you start pulling it apart about just cause eviction law. So this is something where the city of Seattle, a few other cities around the state too, have figured out, all right, landlords, you need to have a good cause to actually get rid of that renter that's uh, in your location there. What we're seeing is Seattle's got a law like this on the books. Burien has one. Federal Way just passed one recently. With election time coming up for a number of legislators here at the state level, it's one of those issues that's starting to bubble up to the surface. A few of the Seattle area legislators that I've been talking to say, hey, rent control, that's a big lift, but something like this might actually be possible in a year like this, in the short session for the legislature, in a way that I, I think that would put something similar to what Seattle has on the books at a statewide level. And I, I wonder about your thoughts about that, Kevin, because I know Councilmember Sawant, again, has been talking about issues like this for some time, really wants to have these types of laws enshrined at the state level, not just the city level. Right. And this is an issue that's coming out uh, not just here in Seattle and yep. statewide, but across the country. Yep. There's a number of different jurisdictions that are really taking a good, hard look mm-hmm. at um, eviction protections and, and reforms that need to be made there. Yeah, it, It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with our state legislature. I know the city is going to be down there lobbying in Olympia over the next couple months talking about this. But one of those things we're going to be keeping an eye on right here on Seattle News, Views and Brews. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me yet again. Thank you, Brian. All right. So next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, give us a listen and find out what's brewing. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for joining us on the podcast here. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Callanan Media Services. Copyright 2020.